This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy. Thanks for joining us this week. We have a whole new week of Trashy Divorces. What's our movie adjoinment this week? Yeah, Alicia? this week we're bringing everything together by a truly creeptastic movie, Blue Velvet. So many feelings about that movie. It should disturb you at any age. So who do you have for us? Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of made a little bit of a comeback in that movie, but I am covering his first marriage to the lovely Brooke Hayward, who he really did some... <laughs> Bad, bad things to you. It was rough. How about you this week, Stacey? I am covering Laura Dern, who has had one divorce, but many uh, highfalutin relationships and is just awesome. So it was a little bit of a nicer story after mine. (laughs) A bit, a little palate cleanser. Before we begin the episode, let's go ahead and pull out our magic mirror and Mm -hmm. give some big shout out and thanks to the new people who joined us over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thanks so much for joining us, Ann P., Mary W., Susan P., Tiffany M., and I'm not your llama, Nancy W., Kristen S., Emily and Jamie too. We have a new super supporter as well, Kim S. I have two extra shout outs to give as well. Yes. Christian and Pippi, our very favorite carpool mm-hmm. writers. Thanks for listening with your mom and wishing us to have a great day. We want you to have an amazing day, don't we, Stacey? We do. Every day. You rock, Christian and Pippi. Also, Bobby in Ireland, you rock for reasons that you and I both know. Yeah, thanks for that. All right, Alicia, I think we've reached that magic moment that happens in every episode. What should we do now? We got to go, go, go. Alicia, I know your favorite stories are sticky with spider webs. What you got for us this week? I got one of those. It's about Laurel Canyon and it's about the swans and it connects to so many previous trashy divorces threads. I got a story for you this week. Today, I am bringing you the trashy divorce of Brooke Hayward and Dennis Hopper. They were married from 1961 to 1969. It is Brooke's second marriage. It is Dennis's first Dennis Hopper will go on to marry four more times. Brooke will marry once more too, but those stories are for the future. Today we're going to easy ride our way back to the late 1950s and talk about this relationship. I'm fascinated by this story. So our song we're using this week by Ben Harper. I have been waiting to use, honestly, for this story now for three plus years. Now, I want you to think about active voice and passive voice. Who's doing the action? Who is the action being done to? So a line in this song, please, please me like you want to, not like you have to. Won't you just go on and leave me? You know, leaving me is the least that you could do. This song makes me think about Brooke Hayward every time. And I want to introduce here, I know we've talked about the trashy divorces repetition of I can change him. I can fix Mm -hmm, him. mm -hmm. I want you to reverse that and put it in passive voice. He will change for me. Mm. (laughs) Okay. So he won't. (laughs) Leaving me is the least that you can do. It does make me think about her. Brooke will be the one that does the leaving. She will take an active participant role in doing the leaving. But a lot of poor Brooke Hayward's Agency is jacked just from the beginning. I want to provide an upfront warning here. In this story, there is domestic violence. There's drug and alcohol addiction. There are suicides. There is abject and true tragedy and sadness in this story. I cannot discount any of that. The story is also a story of the halcyon days in Hollywood and a couple that is living at the crossroads of new and old Hollywood. They are Hollywood's it couple. They're doing incredible things with incredible people, but at what cost? I mean, it all does turn out okay, 
But the theme in this one for me, not just for sweet Brooke, but anyone in this kind of relationship when you hear the story, here's your TLDR. Put it in your brain, make it your mantra. TLDR. They are using you. They are in the middle of an addiction. It is going to get worse before it gets better. You have the choice to leave. That's the TLDR of this. Okay. And when you come through to the other side of that, holy cats, when you change your passive voice to an active voice, it turns into a different kind of melody. Let's get into it. Okay, yeah, this I, I'm I'm hearing all this stuff like this is a comedy show, so let's see what happens. So Dennis is a little easier to begin with, just setting up some initial background here to get him to the depot. Dennis Hopper's born May 17th, 1936 in Dodge City, Kansas. His father works for the CIA. <laughs> he has two brothers. Yeah, I'm not going to go too deep dive into Dennis Hopper because he's got four more divorces right, to right. talk about. But just getting him to the depot. By the time the family, his family will move to Missouri after World War II. Misery. Misery. By the time he's 13, Dennis and his family are in San Diego, which is where Dennis Hopper really begins finding he loves acting. He's building his acting chops. He plays legit classical Shakespeare from 13 to 18. That's what he does. Hmm. These very professional, stiff, sort of formal roles for school. But he's watching Marlon Brando, right? Every up-and-comer actor in Hollywood at this point is watching Marlon Brando all the time. Dennis Hopper is going to get his big break signed after his Warner Brothers contract in a little film called Rebel Without a Cause, co-starring James Dean, Natalie Wood, Sal Mineo too. Huge hit, Rebel Without a Cause. Right. Next up for Dennis Hopper is a little film called Giant. Dennis Hopper will talk about this next part. Is this Elizabeth Taylor? Elizabeth Taylor and James Dean. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. So Dennis will talk about this fully sober. I need to let you know that Dennis Hopper is in the throes of drug addiction until the 1980s. So post-1980s Dennis Hopper and pre-1980s Dennis Hopper, two different cats. But for Dennis, it is James Dean that is the man. Dennis is watching James Dean like, whoa, the acting you're doing is not written in words on that script. You're adding something more than just the written word. So here you have Dennis Hopper, who's played Shakespeare for years, where every single thing you do is utterly scripted. Mm -hmm. Every move, every nuance, every eyebrow raise, and... That's not the way James Dean acts. And Dennis Hopper is like, oh, God, I just would watch him. And everything I was doing was so preconceived. And here comes James Dean, who will befriend Dennis Hopper. Tell Dennis Hopper, buddy, I'm going to help you. <laughs> because at this time, Dennis is like, I want to go to New York and study with Strasbourg mm -hmm. at the Actors mm -hmm. Studio and be like Brando. And James Dean is straight up with him. He's like, man... You are too sensitive for that. Strasbourg will destroy you. Wow. Let me teach you instead. I can help you do this. You don't need to go to New York and get your soul ripped out of your body. James Dean does not get the chance to help out his mm -hmm. old buddy, Dennis Hopper. It is September 30th, 1955, when James Dean is killed in his Porsche Spider that he bought with his film money two weeks before the filming of Giant Raps. So Dennis is wrecked. Elizabeth Taylor's wrecked. Hollywood is wrecked. James Dean's death is tragic. And this will send Dennis Hopper into a spiral. Dennis Hopper begins to think he's the new James Dean. He's going to try to channel wow. all of the chops of his buddy. Wow. And knowing that James Dean blocked his own scenes, Dennis Hopper's like, well, I'm going to block my own scenes too. And come in and tell the director how to direct and the producer how to produce. And Dennis Hopper at, you know, the ripe old age of 20 does not have that kind of clout or star power in Hollywood to act the way he's acting. And the directors let him know it, too. He's blackballed. He is soon kicked out of Hollywood, a completely non-employable actor known as difficult, 
No one wants to work with him, regardless of his talent, because of his own hubris. So Dennis, unemployable, is going to do the one thing that James Dean has said, please, 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 buddy, don't do. Oh. It'll ruin you. Goes to New York. 100%. He's off to New York City to join the actor's studio and study with Strasbourg. This is actually a very rational thing to do if he can't get work in Hollywood. 100%. He can't get work in film. Yeah. He can get work in TV and he can get work on stage. Okay. But in film, he is persona non grata. So in New York City, a young Dennis Hopper does a few things here. He's going to make friends with Vincent Price. Vincent Price will turn Dennis into the modern art movement. Warhol, Lichtenstein, Mm -hmm. every pop artist that is up and coming at the Mm -hmm. time, Vince turns Dennis onto. And this is where we're going to leave Dennis Hopper. Chilling out at the Trashy Divorces Depot in New York City, late 1950s, studying scripts and the craft, getting into arts and being in the hip scene of the day. Let's switch tracks. Let's go to a different track in our depot Mm -hmm. and learn about our lovely bride. Brooke Hayward is a July 5th baby, cancer girl, born in 1937. Brooke Hayward is the eldest of three children to her father, Leland Hayward, and her mother, Margaret Sullivan. Now, neither mom or dad are a stranger to marriages or divorces. All of this is going to make a large impact on Brooke as well as her siblings. Mom, Margaret Sullivan, lovely and talented actress. Her first husband was Henry Fonda. Her second husband is William Wyler. Leland Hayward is husband number three for Margaret Sullivan. Okay. Leland Hayward, Hollywood super agent, and I typed in, yes, with a capital S, Hollywood super agent, has been married one time previous to Margaret. Margaret is his second wife. His additional wives after Margaret are Slim Keith and Pamela Churchill Harriman. Swans. Both. We've covered Pamela Churchill Harriman and Trashy Divorces on our main feed. We covered Slim Keith on Patreon in our... 10-episode Swan series. Truman Truman Capote's Mm -hmm. coterie of rich, thin women he had collected. Is that what we're... Is that the way to think of them? They're the swans. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and put that Slim Keith episode up on the bit.ly trash candy free link. Mm -hmm. If you want to listen to that, just because everything is so stickily tied together. I've been circling around Brooke and Dennis for years now. Okay, what I need to tell you, to your point, is all of this interconnectedness is pretty intense. These parental get-togethers and breakups will make an impression on Brooke, who is a legit Hollywood insider. Sticky, sticky spiderwebs. Here's an example of your sticky interconnected spiderweb. Jane Fonda, daughter of Henry Fonda, is born six months after Brooke. And Jane Fonda and Brooke Hayward are best friends growing up in Brentwood together. They're not stepsisters, exactly, but there's just one thread that gives you an example. There's more coming about that, but everyone's tied to everything else in this story. Brooke has a chaotic childhood. Mom, Margaret Sullivan, just honestly wants all three kids to be normal, and so she will isolate them from... The whole Hollywood scene, but even the isolation of those kids will have its consequences. The kids live in a separate home with a nanny and a cook. Like, they are sheltered from a lot of it. They have their own house? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> Margaret's like, she wants them away from all of it. Like, mm-hmm. I want to raise my kids way more protected than this. You're going to live in the shed out back. <laughs> The kids have tutors for the first few years of their lives, but the family is going to move a lot between California and Connecticut, eventually landing in Greenwich, Connecticut in 1948 after Leland and Margaret divorce. Mom will remarry two years later to Kenneth Wagg, who is a theatrical investor and banker, which should sound shady. Uh, Another story for another day. In Greenwich, Connecticut, Brooke and her sister Bridget will attend Greenwich Academy, which is a private girls' school there. 
Her best friend, Jane Fonda, also is attending Greenwich Academy. Brooke's brother, Bill, will attend Brunswick, which is the private boys' school right around the corner from the private girls' school. But helpfully, Peter Fonda and Bill Hayward are BFFs too. So Peter's there as well, like interconnectedness with everything. By 1953, all three Hayward kids are leaving to go to boarding school. Brooke is going to go to the Madeira School in McLean, Virginia, which is pretty swanky and high profile as these things go. Brooke and her best friend Jane Fonda, after that, will head to Vassar together Hmm. in 1955, which is great. Here's Brooke. She's 18. And the next few years are going to be spent at Vassar College and then Yale. And her first marriage happens here to Michael M. Thomas, who was studying to be an art historian and a budding investment banker as well. They marry in July 1956. They have two young sons in quick secession. The couple will split by 1959. They will finalize their divorce in July of 1960. But I want to back up the trashy bus here just a minute and talk about the year 1959 for Brooke. She's moved to New York City, and she is now studying at the Actors Studio. She's starring in an off-Broadway production when January 1st, 1960, Brooke gets the news that her mother, Margaret Sullivan, has completed death by suicide. Margaret has had a nervous breakdown in the mid-1950s when the two youngest kids tell mom they want to go live with dad. So mom was already in the grips of her own torment. Right. This same year, 1959... Leland Hayward, Brooke's father, is divorcing Slim Keith, Brooke's beloved stepmother, in order to marry Pamela Churchill Harriman, who is fresh off Avril Harriman. Okay. Okay. The 22-year-old Brooke is looking at a life gone off the rails. Nothing is stable. At the same time, both of her siblings, Bridget and Bill, are in mental institutions as well. It, it, this is her book. She writes a book in 1977 yeah. called Haywire, just about yeah, the okay. abject yeah, this is... chaos and tragedy that mm-hmm. her childhood was. I'm really trying to get to her trashy divorce, but I want to set the stage because I think understanding these key years mm-hmm. makes what Brooke is about to go through much more poignant. Yeah, this is a ton of separate stressors all all at once. I, I want to let you know what's what is her current situation as she's meeting Dennis Hopper, okay? But to make it all worse, because it gets worse, yikes. Her sweet sister Bridget, less than 10 months after mom will also complete death by suicide in October 1960. I do bring this all up because I think it goes a long way to explain the very, very vulnerable place that Brooke Hayward finds herself in going through a divorce, Mm -hmm. loss of a mother and sister, and all of that grief, all while trying to work because she's studying and appearing in plays and raise two kids. That is a lot to handle at the tender age of 22. 1960, terrible. Here comes 1961. It's going to look up, right? Does it? (laughs) Well, I'm pulling, again, all sources that we use are listed on TrashyDivorces.com, but there's a wonderful piece by Mark Rizzo in Vanity Fair about the home that Dennis and Brooke have in California. I'm going to quote from here about the meeting. Uh, This is from Mark Rizzo's piece. Hayward had met Hopper during spring rehearsals for the Broadway production of Mandingo. She instantly loathed the guy, unwashed, unprepared, too cool for school. She had been a debutante, a Vassar undergrad, a Vogue cover girl. He had been a wide-eyed boy nicknamed Claude Hopper from Dodge City, Kansas, with a talent for dramatic monologues and trouble. Naturally, she soon found herself crazy for the handsome 24-year-old with what she calls the profile of a classic Greek statue. (laughs) They share an ardor for everything visual. 
Dennis has the greatest eye of anybody I've ever known, Brooke Hayward says. With her help, Hopper soon begins taking photographs. The aesthetic bond between them was conspicuous. He was the very essence of avant-garde, Jane Fonda says, and Brooke, to the marrow of her bone, is an artist. (laughs) So I want to talk about the photograph part here, because Brooke Hayward, for (sighs) Dennis Hopper's 25th birthday, is going to spend $351 that she doesn't really have to buy Dennis Hopper a Nikon camera, Hmm. which will change his life because he will be an avid picture taker from that point on. Okay, so these two are in love. Even Brooke says that they were an extremely unlikely couple. Like, they just, it, nothing about this works, but I think you might understand why it looks like it could be a good idea when you hear about poor everything that's happened oh, yeah. before that. So Dennis and Brooke marry in 1961. Wow, that's fast. Yeah. That much is for sure. But no one really remembers the date. Some say <laughs> August. Brooke says September. Even though no one remembers the day of the marriage, people remember a lot of shit that goes down that day. So number one, Daddy Leland is furious. He does not approve of any of this i mean dennis hopper for fuck's sake the blackballed actor who screwed my friends over in hollywood who doesn't even own a car he just has a motorcycle wants to marry my like no come on brooke what are you thinking dad does not approve pamela being with dad now new new bride like you haven't just divorced slim keith to uh, you're a fine one to talk leland but Leland and Pamela do not approve of any of this. They will attend the small ceremony that occurs at Christ Church in Manhattan on 60th and Park. Few other people attend, Jane Fonda and her brother Peter. Leland and Pamela not approving of any of this nonsense and reading the future writing on the wall, as sometimes parental support figures are prone to do, They attend the ceremony, but they plan nothing to celebrate the nuptials of their daughter. Leaving sweet Jane Fonda to say like, hey, um, because Jane Fonda's moved to New York as well, following her BFF, Brooke. Right. Okay. Well, I've got an apartment. Let's go to my apartment and do something. I'll have a party for you there. Jane is not going to marry Roger Vadim until 1965. So here we have sweet single Jane and her brother, Peter. That hold a little party, which is where Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda meet and begin their friendship, which will ultimately change the world of independent filmmaking with their little film in 1969 called Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Brooke Hayward hands Dennis Hopper his life, his career, his hobby of photography. She hands him everything Again, but he had a motorcycle already. Whatever. I'm going to go back to my TLDR here because I'm so mad about it. They are using you. They are in the middle of an addiction. It is going to get worse before it gets better. You have the choice to leave. God, I'm mad about this story. It's taken me a long time to build up my resolve to tell this story because it makes me mad. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before the marriage, the play the on Broadway that Brooke and Dennis are appearing in, Mandingo, right? Runs a total of eight days on Broadway. Up and done. Wow. Okay. They have a marriage in the summer of 1961. And so by the fall of that year, miraculously, with the marriage to Brooke Hayward, guess what? Hollywood says, mm. hey, Dennis Hopper. Welcome back. Come on back and get your second chance, buddy. So Brooke and Dennis will head to Bel Air. They find a little home in Stone Canyon that they live in for exactly two weeks before it is burned in the terrible fires that sweep Bel Air November 6th, 1961, where 484 homes are lost in this fire. It is difficult to absorb quite how much tragedy is Brooke Hayward discovers she's pregnant the same week. Wow. Okay. Goodness. No home. Mother, sister gone. Two kids. Third on the way. And a husband who, well, Dennis fucking Hopper. 
So after the fire, the two are going to move in with Vincent and Mary Price for a little while, but that doesn't go great. And eventually, Dennis and Brooke will end up living in the guest home of David O. Selznick and Jennifer Jones, David O. Selznick's second wife after the divorce from Irene. David and Jennifer live at a little place on Tower Grove. And that same guest house that Dennis and Brooke are living in also housed Greta Garbo and John Gilbert for a while. Right. Jennifer Jones is a terrific friend of Brooke Hayward's as well. Okay. June of 1962, Brooke will give birth to Marin, their daughter. Brooke is in the hospital, lying in the hospital, having just given birth. And Dennis, on this particular day, has found his own way to celebrate. Comes in the hospital, Brooke. Guess what, honey? I bought the neatest, coolest painting you've ever seen today. Oh, no. With your money. Oh, my God. For a hundred bucks. Well... Went down to the gallery. There's an artist, Andy Warhol. I bought this like 16 by 20 painting. He's doing the neatest thing with soup cans. Seriously? He bought a Campbell. He bought one of the yes. Campbell soup. Wow. Yeah. And Brooke Hayward, after just yes. having given birth just, yes. with no home, is like, where do we put this painting? We do not have a home. But here's a funny bit about this. So... <laughs> Andy Warhol gets sold this like bill of goods by this gallery. Like there's so many famous stars that come here. Your art will totally sell out. There are 32 paintings in that original soup can collection. At the time, there were 32 different kinds of Campbell's soups. So Andy Warhol does a 16 by 20 canvas for each Campbell's soup can. Dennis Hopper is one of the very few buyers. They sell like three paintings. So it ends up the gallery owner is going to ask Dennis Hopper, like, hey man, will you sell that back to me so I can keep this 32 set collection together? I'll give you a good deal on something else in the future. I know you're into pop art. We'll get you another Warhol. But what happens because Hopper and like the other two people who actually bought one of these 32 paintings sold them back this gallery owner was able to deliver all 32, the complete set, to the Museum of Modern Art as a gift. And I say that with a quotation around it because the gift comes with a price tag of $15 million in 1996. Yikes. Here's a present, but it's going to cost you $15 million to sure, acquire. Sure, Anyway. Yeah, the inflation in the art market has been... Do you see what I mean? There's so many spiderwebs in this story. Okay, the story could go on for days with connections, but alas. In April 1963, Brooke and Dennis are going to buy a home at 1712 North Crescent Heights Boulevard. This is in the Hollywood Hills, kind of below the Bird Streets, right off Laurel Canyon. It's the epicenter of everything that's happening. Beautiful home. And this place becomes the clearinghouse for... Actors, artists, biker gangs. Also, there are three kids living in the home, too. He's collecting art. She's collecting antiques. And they make this, like, quirky and lovely and enchanting home that is like nothing Hollywood's ever seen. I want to give you a few bits about their home here before we move on to the marriage and divorce. You can see pictures of this home. From a photography book Dennis Hopper released towards the end of his life. But I think some of these quotes might provide just a little bit about the the energy about what's happening every day before we get to the trashy divorces part. Again, this is from that Vanity Fair piece. Jane Fonda, who was Hayward's best pal growing up, told me, Dennis knew all the artists and had the paintings, but Brooke knew how to put it all together in a way that would become magical. It was a really magical house. Michael Nesmith, the songwriter, filmmaker, guitar player of the Monkees. I was going to say Monkey, yeah. His recollections about the house are this. Well, I would hardly classify it as a recollection. It was a tattoo. I mean, it just burned into my mind. I walked into that house and thought, holy moly, where have I landed? In 1965, the writer Terry Southern will pay a visit. He is doing a piece called The Loved House of the Dennis Hoppers which will appear in Vogue. The captions in that piece are by Joan Didion, by the way. (laughs) Terry Southern describes the home as a harmonious nightmare of Gothic surrealism. (laughs) 
Now, this sounds fun. Artists, biker gangs, but there are three kids who live here too. One of Brooke's sons says, It was embarrassing, frankly, to bring friends over. I didn't want people to see this house. Now I'm like, look how cool this house was. But like everyone else, we just wanted to be normal. And here we are living with these crazy people. All the kids are equally as embarrassed by the pop art car they have. Oh, God. (laughs) They have chosen a yellow checker cab for their family car. Oh, so upgrading from the motorcycle. So every time, like, the kids get dropped off at school or whatever, all the kids would yell, taxi, taxi, when they roll up at school. Poor Mare and their daughter says, I felt like Marilyn in the Munsters. Okay. Sets the stage a little. (laughs) Okay, so now Dennis is acting, and Brooke is taking care of kids and homemaking, too. And she's doing small roles, like, you're like, Brooke Hayward. Brooke Hayward was supposed to be a legendary actress. She's very talented. David O. Selznick actually pisses Jane Fonda off one day talking about how talented Brooke Hayward is. And Jane's like, well, what about me? And, like, no one anticipates Jane to do this. But I think uh, uh, something magical happens in this transference. Because Brooke is acting. She's doing some small roles. But guess what? Dennis Hopper doesn't like that. Oh, he's resentful of her. Like, oh, you got a guest starring role on Bonanza. (laughs) How dare you? Dennis Hopper makes her give it up. (laughs) Okay. Your your job is to load the kids into that taxi and drive them to school. Taxi, taxi. So Dennis Hopper is using not only a lot of alcohol, but just about every other drug too. One of Brooke's children recalls. Dennis always had a bottle of Jack Daniels, and he always had a Coors or Olympia beer in his hand. He smelled like alcohol morning and night. Kid finds pot in his stepfather's film canisters, and his own first toke comes at the age of 10 when Dennis takes the family to a fantasy fair and Magic Mountain Music Festival in June of 1967. Dennis Hopper's like, no problem, Jefferson Airplane. We can give you a lift. We're going to. So the members of Jefferson Airplane do. And I'm not sure how much you remember about Jefferson Airplane, but you may not want them around your 10-year-old kid (laughs) because the members of the band just pass the joint. Mm -hmm. Pass it to the left, man. There's a 10-year-old, yeah, Mm -hmm. to the left. Awesome adulting there, folks. Uh Dennis will later sum up this period. I wouldn't think of going through a day without smoking at least eight joints. Now, by comparison, Brooke Hayward got about as wild as a margarita. Toby Roffelson says she wasn't running around being drugged or drunk or out of control. That was not the kind of thing she was interested in at all. She's raising three kids. Sure. There's a fun time where Dennis Hopper falls asleep in bed with a lit joint, Mm. which incinerates the bed. Mm. Yeah, that used to be a really serious... No, it calls the whole... Like, the fire department has to come out and put out the... No, I just mean mattresses are uh, improved today. Then there is a lost weekend in Mexico. Brooke Hayward describes it this way. uh, Well, a lost weekend in Mexico with London gallerist and fellow drug enthusiast, Robert Frazier. Brooke describes it this way. Robert had some kind of weird speed. We got all crazy, completely raving mad, and were unable to go to sleep for about three days. I was angry about it because I had three children and really another life. Mm -hmm. Again, see my TLDR. They're using you. They're in the middle of addiction. It's going to get worse before it gets better. You can leave. Brooke goes on to talk about a few more things because then Dennis was prone to impatience Given to violent rages that are all spurned on by heavy drinking. I was going to say, I mean, we've got alcohol, we've got speed, we've got like... Well, Brooke says we didn't have a lot of alcohol in the house because if we did, Dennis would finish it off in minutes. He'd even drink the cooking sherry. Okay, again, pulling from uh, Razo's piece here. Initially, things were manageable between them. Even happy. Brooke says, he was an incredibly colorful character in those days. A sweetheart. But she thinks something changes in him after he returns 
from a stint spent high on acid at a San Francisco love-in in 1966. She says he arrived home with a three-day growth of beard, he was filthy, his hair was crazy, and he started growing a ponytail. <laughs> he had one of those horrible mandalas around his neck and his eyes were blood red. Dennis was altered forever. Hmm. So there's an incident. In early 1968, Dennis is starring in this pretty obscene play called The Beard. He's playing the role of Billy the Kid. And in the play, he is performing oral sex on his co-star. And Brooke comes to watch the play, knowing it's a role, but she has to leave after the play. Clap, clap. Good for you. That was great. She's got to go home and take care of kids. Dennis Hopper flips out runs after her and kicks out the windshield of Taxi Taxi Checker Cab. Wow. Next, so, sounds very stable. No, no it, it gets worse. So the a more notorious dust-up, uh, one day Dennis says to her, as he's looking at proof sheets, I've decided this is the best photograph. This is Brooke Hayward recalling this. And I said, I don't happen to agree with you. And he went pop and broke my nose. I don't think he meant to, but I had to go pick the children up at school with the broken nose. Now, also, in addition to a raging drug and alcohol problem, Dennis Hopper has developed a growing fondness for firearms. Excellent. So according to Jeffrey Thomas... Hey, it's the American way, Alicia. (laughs) His stepfather, Dennis Hopper, chased us with a gun to kill all of us. We were going from house to house trying to lay low. I mean, it was seriously a psychotic episode. The children weren't sure what was up. We all thought it was a great adventure. I think mom even put it that way to us. Let's go on an adventure, kids. Otherwise we die. So 1968, seven years married. Easy Rider production is about to start. So filming begins at Mardi Gras in New Orleans. This is February 1968. Uh, (laughs) Hopper's flaring. This is Brooke Hayward saying, I got a phone call from Peter Fonda and a second one from my brother, Bill, who was the producer saying, Brooke, get the children out of the house. Get out. Dennis has gone berserk. Hayward thought they were out of their minds, but Hopper did come home from the shoot disturbed. Give me food or I'm going to kill you, he tells Brooke Hayward with the children looking on. This isn't. Absolutely bonkers story. She gets him out of the house long enough to escape with the kids. Dennis Hopper shortly after is busted for pot and then goes on an extended scouting trip for the film, leaving Brooke Hayward the ability and breathing room to get the hell out and file for divorce. She'll call her ex-husband back in New York and say, can you please take the kids until I get this sorted because this has to Because it's unsafe. Yeah. Brooke is now taking an active role as a participant. Like, mm-hmm. nope. The least you could do is leave. No, I'm le- I'm done. I'm done. I've had enough. Uh, poor, her ex-husband says she sounded totally beat. Brooke Hayward is going to seize the moment. She's going to pack up her daughter, put out a restraining order against Dennis Hopper. She says, when we did get divorced, I probably could have gone for half his cut from Easy Rider, but I refused to take a nickel from him because I didn't want him coming after me with a shotgun and shooting me. Well. And that's Brooke, exhausted, abused, and the least you could do is leave me, but nah, man, I'm done. You're not going to change for me, and I can't change you. Sounds like the changing is just that he keeps getting worse. Uh, That is nightmarish. So Brooke Hayward begins her divorce process, which is complete in February of 1969. After about nine-ish years together, seven years married, in this world of some parts wonderful, some parts absolute tragedy, Brooke Hayward says, those years in the 60s when I was married to Dennis were the most wonderful and awful of my life. And sometimes it is that balance. So all the trash cans in this one are clearly directed for Dennis Hopper. Oh, yes. I'm going to give some balance on halos to Brooke Hayward here for deciding to take the active voice in her own life and in her children's life. 
But for this marriage alone, Dennis Hopper, and we got four more coming, my buddy, you get 15 million trash cans. The cost of that 32-panel soup can collection Mm -hmm. that you could have bought for $3,200, but Mm -hmm. no, you decided to spend that 15 million on your poor sweet wife. Um, keep that $15 million number in your head because that's going to be our base for him. We got four more sure additions there to the, happen. Right. Not this week, but. No, next up for Dennis Hopper is going to be his six-day marriage to Michelle Phillips after she burns out from John. Fantastic. Yeah, that's bad. Brooke Hayward will marry one more time in the 1980s. And if you can handle one more spider web, I think. I think we're far enough down the sticky spiderweb rabbit hole, but hold up. Brooke Hayward's next husband is Peter Duchin, who is the famous band leader. But Peter Duchin, when he's a child, his parents die, and he is sent to live with Avril Harriman and his first wife before Avril Harriman marries Pamela Churchill. Interesting. Peter Duchin and Brooke Hayward will begin dating in 1981, marry in 1985, and stay married until 2008. It's just too much. There's so many stories in this particular web, but I think I've got to stop for now. Let's take a break, and we come back for more Trashy Tales. You're bringing us the continuing saga of Laura Dern. Yeah, she has come up recently, and we're going to... Gonna zero in. Fantastic. We'll see you on the flip. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number. Thousands of people try to call. I talk to one of them. They stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh. Somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous. Hey, Trash Panda Nation. Let's everyone just take a minute. Give yourselves credit for getting to today. And now we cue Sir Elton John. I'm still standing. Would you like to say that you are standing better than I ever did about your personal finances? Our friends at the Oak Tree Group are ready and willing to help you. The mission of this all-female firm is to guide you through all phases of your financial journey using an intuitive and holistic approach. Best of all, Oak Tree Group is offering our Trashy Divorces listeners a free one-hour consultation with no obligation to talk about your financial concerns. Give the Oak Tree Group a call today at 770-319-1700 to set up your appointment. Again, that number is 770-319-1700. And you can always visit www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information. So a few more sticky spiderwebs today. We have 
your profile who famously starred with my profile back in the smash hit for some weird reason, Blue Velvet. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's a creeptastic movie, man. Important work for several reasons in the life of Laura Dern. So I'm not going to say this is a follow-on story because that is not something one can say about the inimitable Laura Dern. She's pretty fantastic. She's pretty fantastic. I will say that my interest was piqued a few weeks back when we covered Billy Bob Thornton's short marriage to Angelina Jolie back at the start of the century. If you'll recall, Billy Bob, fresh off of his Sling Blade success, was invited to appear on the Puppy episode of The Ellen Show, Mm -hmm. the episode where Ellen DeGeneres publicly came out in 1997. On set, he met actress Laura Dern, also in the episode cast, and the two began a several-year relationship and engagement that Billy Bob literally ghosted out of in 1999. It's a terrible, terrible. When he met Angelina. But Laura Dern has had a fabulous career and some long relationships, including a marriage, with some extremely well-known men. And today, we turn our trashy divorce's eye to the life, loves, and divorce of Academy Award-winning, Emmy-winning, Golden Globe-winning actress and filmmaker, Laura Dern. Wow. Let's go. Born February 10th, 1967 to actors Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern. Laura's origin story is actually a bit tragic. Her parents, who had married in 1960, had a daughter before Laura who drowned at 18 months. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Terrible. In In 1992, Diane talked about how their grief over this loss ultimately spelled the end of the marriage. Quote, we suffered the tragedy of our daughter's death together and thought another child would help us, but we were so bruised. So... The parents divorced in 1969 when Laura was just two. And as was the custom of the day, Laura was mostly raised by her mother, Diane, with help from her grandmother. From that same interview, Diane said, I was terrified being on my own with Laura. I had to force myself not to be overly protective because I had lost one child. The result was that it worked the other way. I allowed her to be a free thinker and that helped her become her own person. So apparently as a kid... Laura would beg her mom to take her to, you know, movie sets and whatever work she was doing. And Diane eventually relented and started taking her, thinking that she would see how boring this all really was in practice. Did it backfire? Oh, it totally backfired. (laughs) Laura just was in love with every part of it. So, of course, it never hurts to be related to someone famous in Hollywood, Laura's early roles were in a couple of her mother's films in the 70s, but she loved the process. In the early 80s, as a teenager, she was back at it, and at 16, she did that one weird trick that a lot of teen actors use to get around California's child labor laws. She got herself emancipated. (laughs) She's super close to her mother and her father. Like This was handy because what followed was a pretty remarkable patch of work and the level of acclaim that the work warranted. The movie Mask, Blue Velvet, mentioned before, uh, and Wild at Heart. Aside from the last two movies forging a long collaboration with director David Lynch that continues to this day, in 1985, she also fell for her Blue Velvet co-star, Kyle MacLachlan. I mean, do you falter? He's pretty easy on the eyes. He's pretty. Then riding high from his smash hit Dune in 1984. That's a joke. Dune bombed. (laughs) But it would go on to live a long and happy life as a cult favorite (laughs) of people like me. They'd be together for about three and a half years. And in a 1992 GQ profile, all that he would really spill about their time together is that they studied acting together and, quote, it was really deep emotional work, going back and unlocking some stuff from childhood, adolescence, those kinds of painful things. That was her style. So yeah, that sounds fun. Uh, His mother also passed away from ovarian cancer during the relationship. And like, let's be honest, Laura was maybe 18 when they got together. He's eight years older than she is. You can see how that could all fall apart. So they were done by about 1989. And if there were hard feelings, they have long since been resolved. As part of David Lynch's stable of like actor creatives, people he works with, they've had ample opportunity 
to mend fences, and when Twin Peaks The Return, the season three of Twin Peaks, finally came out in 2017, it included a sex scene between the two. Kyle went on Ellen to talk about how that felt. (laughs) It's very funny because David Lynch would sit down and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. He talks you through it, so you feel pretty comfortable. And then you sit down, and Laura and I were kind of like, okay, here we go. Welcome back, 25 years later. (laughs) She looks great, by the way, I gotta say it. Yeah, it was weird. We had a couple of laughs, for sure. Okay, so one down, a few to go. Notably, in 1992, she and her mother became the first mother-daughter duo to be nominated for Oscars for acting in the same film. Famous first times. Mm -hmm. It's like a love letters, too. I don't know how we missed that one. Diane Ladd was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Laura for Best Actress in 1992's Rambling Rose. And the family, including Bruce, also has the only family star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. No. Yeah. And I think 2010 is when they got that. But yeah, they they were just like, all of yous, come over here. (laughs) Look at you full of fun facts today. It was in 1993 that Laura found herself on the set of a little movie called Jurassic Park. The first time Steven Spielberg approached her about the role, she told the Chicago Tribune in 1993, (laughs) he opened the conversation with, you're not going to be nominated for an Academy Award for this one. (laughs) No Oscar, but it did introduce Dr. Ellie Sattler to Jeff Goldblum's Dr. Ian Malcolm. As the story goes, things were professional during the shoot, but as the production came to a close, they realized there was something there. When the tabloids picked up on the romance, it was weird for her. In that Tribune interview, she said, they make it sound a lot more fabulous in print than it probably ever would be in person. Because once all these preconceived ideas about how glamorous it is go away, there's a man and a woman, and you have to figure out how to have a relationship. Right. Truer words. Jeff is about 15 years older than Laura, and at the time was relatively fresh off his divorce from Gina Davis, who we also, you covered recently. Another weird spiderweb, Laura had briefly dated director Rennie Harlan prior to this, and Rennie Harlan would go on to marry and divorce Gina Davis later. Uh I don't, we need a song about spiderwebs. We need a flowchart. <laughs> <laughs> I got some yarn right. and some thumbtacks. That's what we need. We need a wall of, yes. <laughs> also, I don't know why this blew my mind, but Jeff Goldblum will be 70 years old in October. I think the actors you grow up watching just imprint in your mind as their age in your childhood. So to me, like he's still an affable 45-year-old and probably always will be. Always will be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she and Jeff were serious enough that they became engaged on Christmas Day, 1994, but then became unengaged, but were still together. And then there's a 1997 interview from Red Book Magazine by Martha Frankel that really captures the moment happening here in 1997 in Laura's life. This is how it opens. Laura Dern is smiling as she enters the restaurant, but her eyes are red-rimmed and puffy. Clearly, she's not okay. I just got off the phone with Jeff, and one of our dogs is sick, she explains. Oh, no. It's cancer, and needless to say, we just adore the dog, and so both our hearts are broken. But we talked and we cried, and we'll try to do the best thing for her. Which at this point is what Dern and Goldblum are trying to do for their relationship. The on-again, off-again couple, who have been seeing each other since they met on the set of Jurassic Park in 92, lately have been under the watchful eye of the media. Did they break up or not? What breakup, Dern asks, hands flying. Who said we broke up? No, we're not engaged anymore, but Jeff and I love each other and we're trying to figure it out. In the meantime, the two live apart, sharing custody of their two dogs, and Jeff plays weekend dad, while Laura is here in Little Rock, Arkansas to film a music video with the group Widespread Panic, directed by Academy Award winner Billy Bob Thornton. She doesn't know it yet, but the tabloids will soon have a field day with this, intimating that Dern and Thornton have been involved since shooting the now-famous Coming Out episode of Ellen several weeks earlier, and that this involvement led Thornton's wife to file for divorce the very day Dern was en route to Little Rock. Oh my god. No, for now, she is unaware of any commotion other than the one raised by the suggestion of a breakup with Goldblum. So yeah, I read that that Red Book interview and was just like, oh my god, that is like such a perfect crystalline capture of that moment. Insert sound of prolonged laughter here. 
<laughs> since that seems to be exactly what happened. Oh, no. As we noted a few weeks ago, Billy Bob is a trashy divorces all star with six marriages and five divorces to his name. He was wrapping up his fourth marriage when, or because, he and Laura met at The Ellen Show. Not The Ellen Show, not the daytime talk show. Anyway, that episode of Ellen. The pair had some things in common. He's a Southern boy from Arkansas. Laura spent many childhood summers at her grandparents' home in Mississippi. Her grandmother moved to California from Alabama when her parents divorced and helped raise her. They were soon living together. Until that fateful day in 1999, while she was away filming a movie, and Billy Bob abruptly, and apparently without a word, moved out of their house and moved on with Angelina Jolie. She told Talk Magazine, I left our home to work on a movie, and while I was away, my boyfriend got married. <laughs> it is rough. And I've never heard from him again. The dating world is tough out there. It's like a sudden death. For no one has there been any closure or clarity. In 2016, Laura's friend, musician Melissa Etheridge, recalled this period of her friend's life on Watch What Happens Live by saying, I helped Laura move out of her house with Billy Bob. I, like, broke into their home to get their stuff out because it was so nasty. Thank God you have a lesbian friend. He right. was like, I'm totally going to break into your house. We need to get your shit out of here. Grab a hammer. If you need a lesbian friend to have your back, I think Melissa Etheridge is that girl. I mean... Didn't she sing, come to my window? <laughs> Let's get your shit back, Laura Dern. All right. So Billy Bob <laughs> was married like 10 minutes later. Laura took things a little slower. And why wouldn't she at this point? The following year, she decided to take in a concert, have some fun, live a little. On stage was none other than her future husband, Ben, ben Harper. Harper. I love Ben Harper. Ben is unique among the paramours of Laura Dern. Because he's roughly her age. He was born October 28th, 1969. Mm, and, Scorpio, man. Mm, and he's been playing music since he was a kid. This is also helped by the fact that his grandparents owned a music store. He caught a Bob Marley show when he was nine. and Yeah, man. It really affected him. <laughs> by 12, he was gigging. And by the mid-1990s, he had secured a lifetime record deal with Virgin Records. I didn't know that was a thing. I'm sorry, a lifetime record deal? It's what Wikipedia says. Wow. Yeah. Did not investigate that further, but, you know, Richard Branson, whatever. He was also instrumental in the career of one of your favorites, one Jack Johnson. The two met in 1999, and as bros do, Ben passed along Jack's demo to his producer and then later offered him an opening slot on his Innocent Criminals tour, bringing Jack Johnson to the world. All right, so Ben married for the first time in 1996, and that union was in the process of dissolving when Ben met Laura in the autumn of 2000. He and his wife were separated. They were working out the details. They have two kids. They were working through the issues. Uh, their divorce would be completed the following year. In 2002, People Magazine's Samantha Miller wrote about the current status of Laura Dern this way. Dern, 34, sure seems the happiest of moms. In two years, she has rebounded from a romantic rock bottom, learning of her then-fiancé Billy Bob Thornton's relationship with Angelina Jolie from tabloid reporters to the emotional high of starting a family with her boyfriend of a year, blues rock singer Ben Harper, 32. Quote, something that one might have thought would destroy her made her stronger, says singer Melissa Etheridge, a close friend. When she told me she was pregnant, she was very proud and very excited. She was saying, this is the next new chapter in my life. Oh, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a Melissa lesbian Etheridge. friend. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> At the time, the pair said they had no plans to marry, but late in 2005. And with a second baby already in tow, they had a small private ceremony at home. And then the private couple remained quite private, creating their very public work, raising their kids doing their thing out of the public eye as they prefer. There was no outward sign, but in January 2010, they apparently agreed to separate. And in October of 2010, Ben filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. differences. Us Weekly spoke to an unnamed source who told them, quote, the marriage became a chore. It lost passion and he got bored. He loves their kid and loves her, but wasn't in love with her anymore. 
He was also busy with a new band. And the source said that he kind of would prefer someone in the music world that he had more in common with. Anyway, didn't sound great. According to TMZ, however, they hadn't actually moved to different homes and had been traveling throughout the year. And again, according to TMZ, Ben apparently filed without letting Laura know that he was going to. Oh, no. So words like blindsided appeared in coverage of the event. And in fact, they were not quite ready to be done with each other. There was a reconciliation still to come. And they attended the Golden Globes together in 2012 before Laura, later in the year, formally responded to his petition in court. (laughs) Filed for herself. So that's kind of a yikes, but also it seems like they really did try every which way to get things back on track, and it just didn't happen in the end, and that happens. The divorce became final in 2013. So that is Laura Dern's one and only marriage and divorce so far. Ben remarried in 2015. Laura has since been linked to several prominent people, including... Ooh, tell me. Common, Bradley Cooper, and NBA player Baron Davis... When representatives are asked for comment about any of these people or from any of these people, the words good friends come up a lot. Sure, sure. It's, uh, it's very, uh, you yeah, know. Laura makes a lot of good friends, and I respect that. Hey, she also has just been kicking ass in her career in recent years. She won a very well-deserved primetime Emmy for HBO's Big Little Lies in 2017 and picked up a slew of awards including an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in 2019's Marriage Story. In her backstage speech after winning a Golden Globe for Marriage Story, she said this. This is a Noah Baumbach film, and so she's quoting him. As as Noah first said about the story when we first talked about it, he said, I want to tell a love story where endings are not failures. And that really moved me and struck me deeply So to my amazing divorced parents and my amazing step-parents and my amazing children who came from love despite an ending in a marriage, we're so privileged to redefine what family looks like. There is a very funny clip online, I think, from the 2017 Golden Globes where Billy Bob Thornton is announced as the winner of something or another and has to navigate through a thicket of tables and chairs to get to the stage to accept the award. Oh, my. Does Melissa Etheridge trip him? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, There is a brief moment where he passes behind Laura's seat, and she just sort of looks down at the floor and is pretty clearly not sharing the audience's appreciation of the man in the moment, in case you're wondering how that's going. But uh, she will appear in another Jurassic Park movie alongside Jeff Goldblum later this year, in case you're wondering how that's going. And that's Laura Dern. Um, Again, I think only Billy Bob Thornton gets the trash cans in this situation. I don't know. Are they all at a widespread panic show? Yes. What a mess. I think, honestly, Melissa Etheridge is the true hero of that story. Yeah, halos for Melissa Etheridge. (laughs) Add her in for good measure. Just, yeah, knocking out a window or whatever and climbing through to open the door for Laura Dern to retrieve her things. Holy cats, that was a wild ride. There are a thousand spiderwebs. So thank you, thank you, thank you for digging into that. This has been a really tragic, sad, grief-filled, terrible, and wonderful week on Trashy Divorces (laughs) all together with picking up on a lot of threads that we have dropped in other seasons. Yeah, at this point, we're... We sort of have a compendium of uh, the relationships of celebrities. So if anyone can find us a 14 foot by 12 foot bulletin board, we will pull out our yarn and our Mm. note cards and get on that for you. The ultimate map of Hollywood connectedness. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode of Trashy Divorces. We are going to be back with you on Wednesday for brand new Trashy Breakups. In the meantime, if you need more of us over here at Hemlock Creatives, you can check out Love Letters 2. We just launched a whole new theme for February, Muses and Makers. Mm -hmm. You can hear about Jane Austen's muse, Tom LaFroy, and Alice Little, Lewis Carroll's muse for Alice in Wonderland. A lot of good fun stories over there. You can get free episodes of our Trashy Divorces Patreon at bit.ly slash trash candy. 
And I'll be sure to post that Slim mm-hmm. Keith episode over there for you. Yep. Patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces is where you can find like almost 900 other things. Things. Early episodes. Add free episodes, bonus episodes. Series. Oh my gosh. We're doing it lives. all. We live for the trash and the yarn. And all the spider webs. Big love to y'all until we meet on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Have a tremendously wonderful week. Clean hands. Trashy hearts. Bye, everyone. Bye, friends. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.